So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Friday episode of the Ringer Gambling Show. I'm Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis, and I'm joined by my buddy, my colleague, Joe House, as I will be every Friday throughout the NFL season. So jacked up for week one's first show. What's up, House? Ready to rumble! Sharpay, we're back, baby. Let's get ready to rumble. Look, I wish you were sitting here with me right this second in person next to me rather than in your basement lair because I need somebody to pinch me. Was that Tampa Bay Dallas game last night? Was that real? Did that? What time did you go to bed this morning? That was so amazing. It was, it was an absolutely amazing game. Um, perfect way to start off the football season. And you know what? I was wondering how you were going to come in here, House, because usually we were recording last year in the evening after all those competitive juices were flowing after Thursday night football. You are bringing the heat, my friend. Uh, uh, clearly, you are on the Dan Campbell coffee double <laughs> shot uh, train of, of <laughs> caffeine, and I'm so happy that you're ready for the football season. Um, and, and look, we are going to be talking about our favorite picks each week. I am going to be looking over your card, analyzing it, evaluating it, giving my suggestions, my commentary, and trying to help you become an even better sports better. And the people are going to learn from that as well. It's going to be a great, great process as we break down the NFL every single week. So let's get it started. 
We're going to break down these picks into categories. And before we do that, House, what are we going to start with? Well, we're going to start with the fact that the podfather himself, Bill Simmons, has called me the worst gambler on the planet. And, you know, over the years, I've had my ups and my downs, but this year is an up year. The football gods are good, Warren Sharp. We have 17 weeks of action. Speaking of time for some action. <laughs> but this time last year was radically different. Everything was different. There was no preseason. We were still in the midst of trying to figure out whether or not there could be professional football competition in the midst of a COVID pandemic. No ability to figure out um, how the rookies looked. No way of estimating uh, the, the the impacts of, of COVID. And, and honestly, no way for me to know how handsome a guy sharp is for, for a guy that never leaves his basement. So what I want to begin with is we're in a more normal kind of environment now. And one thing I'm ex extremely interested in your views on is home field advantage. Cause last season there wasn't any, no, there wasn't. And, you know, obviously that played into how teams performed when they were on the road and traveling. Um, and one of the key things of course, that we dealt with was higher point production. So how did we get there? Let's start with that. Well, Offensive holding was down, lowest rate since penalty data has been tracked. Why was offensive holding down? Because there was better communication with the offensive line, better communication from the quarterback to that offensive line because there was no crowd noise. Oh, that was so a big. I was going to say because the refs stopped calling it <laughs> because they wanted us to enjoy the football when the season got going. No, that was, I think, probably a little bit of a factor, but the communication is big as well. And hearing the snap count and the cadence of that quarterback on the road was huge to help the offensive line and not put them um, at, a, at a disadvantage for the defensive line that is just moving when that ball is snapped. Quarterback sacks were down because the O-line was able to hold a little bit more and protect a little bit better due to the snap counts being heard. And road teams were scoring touchdowns at a much higher rate, 60% of the red zone possessions. It was below 55% the prior seasons. Better quarterback play. I mean, quarterbacks were setting records all over the place. Completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdowns, efficiency ratings. All of those were up because of the better production. They were scoring more points inside of the red zone. Road teams won over 50% of their games for the first time in history. So naturally, some of that should Regress. Clearly, we didn't see that last night with two quarterbacks that were playing outstanding and ridiculously good receiving cores and two teams that were just like, we're not getting enough out of the run game. So let's just throw the football a ton. That's the trend that teams should take, but not all teams are going to approach the season that way. And so I really do think that we're going to see some of these teams in the first half, the first quarter of games that are playing on the road, especially young guys, whether or not they played last year as rookies, so they're in their second year, or guys that played in college without crowds and now are going to be thrust into week one in these road hostile environments. How are they going to perform? It's definitely something that I'm going to be very interested in. Yeah, so uh, I, I was so surprised last night to hear all of the Dallas fans in Tampa and you know the the uh, impact of of the crowd noise on the outcome on the field it 
we we had two veteran quarterbacks. Dak and, and Tom Brady look completely uncowled by whatever was going on in the stands. And the stands, honestly, I felt 50-50 to me. But I, I the point you just made about college guys who played in, in half-full stadiums or quarter-filled stadiums or some stadiums where there were no fans at all, whose first experience professionally is going to be in environments like Arrowhead Stadium or you know the 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 uh, the Bill Stadium for any st- new Steelers, that part of it uh, hadn't thought about. Is there a way to factor that into you know a, 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 something we can leverage with with some totals or, or you know some some spreads perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. So last season we were way ahead of the curve. I mean, we completely cleaned up by predicting that the lack of crowd noise was going to have an impact on the totals, and we bet nothing but overs to start the season and overs completely cleaned up the first four weeks of last season. It was absurd how good betting overs was. And you have to use some uh, back of the napkin math to try to figure out like your strategies and and just come up with, okay, this is how we're going to bet this season. If we're wrong, we're probably going to get killed because we're going to go in hot thinking that this is going to be the case. Um, But when you have a lot of experience and you identify some edges, that's just the way that you have to gamble on the NFL. You have to take stances, you have to hold opinions, and you have to be willing to put your money behind it, live or die with those results. And obviously having a ton of success doing this for years, I felt confident about that strategy and it paid off. This season, you better adjust. You can't just look at point totals from last year, which were up like on average by three points per game. More were being scored because of some of these factors and just say, well, this is the new normal. This is what's going to happen moving forward. You have to be willing to say, let's take a step back. Let's reevaluate. So for me personally, to the listeners out there, I'm not just coming in hot once again and betting unders every single game this season. I'm not doing that, but I'm strategically picking my spots a lot more closely. And bear in mind, you know, as a professional better and a guy who works with a lot of these betting groups, we are not just spraying the board. We weren't just betting all 16 overs last season, every single game. You're still identifying which games have the biggest edges and the most values. And that's not going to change any single season for us. So we are probably going to be more cautious about betting our overs on these potentially inflated totals to start the season. But that's not to say there still isn't some value in some overs and and maybe some value in some unders. You just got to look a little bit more judiciously, let's say. All right, that that's a relief because I already have three. I have two overs on the dance card, maybe three overs and and one under for sure. Uh, well, that uh, uh, explication, which is a perfect way to kick this whole thing off. If you, our dear listeners, want to to uh, offer up uh, a question, you're interested in any particular developments for this season. The email address is sharppointsnfl at gmail.com. That is our sharp points segment. S-H-A-R-P-P-O-I-N-T-S-N-F-L at gmail.com. If you have a question about things we might anticipate here in the early season that we might turn into some cold, hard cash. Speaking of cold, hard cash, let's talk about this unbelievable marquee game that is lined up for this coming Sunday uh, to go right, right in hand in hand with a delightful 
Dallas-Tampa Bay game from last night. We have the Kansas City Chiefs favored at home by six and a half points, hosting the Cleveland Browns. We all remember what a fascinating playoff game that was, and we all remember the tear that Cleveland went on in the playoffs uh, in the, the, just just eight months ago. Um, how are you thinking about this Chiefs-Cleveland game? Because I have a couple of thoughts about uh, playing on it, but um, I, I'm not 100% convinced this is going to end up on my card. Okay, well, first, give me what your lean is right now. I like um, Kansas City. It's it's one of these situations where Andy Reid has a great track record uh, for preparing for season openers. He also, you know, his his legendary record off of bye weeks. When Andy Reid has time to prepare, the Chiefs um, tend to perform well. And uh, I like the idea of a full Arrowhead stadium. I'm intrigued by the revamped offensive line. It was the single biggest difference um, in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs offensive line was the unit that let them down. They've um, overhauled that. And I think, you know, they're they're poised to uh, just jump right back in and, and pick up where they left off. Also, a little bit of that bad taste in their mouth that they might want to come out and make a statement on um, against this Cleveland team. And the the, the basic idea of like um, these Browns are up and comers. They, they, they want to ascend to the throne. Why don't we let them know exactly where they stand in terms of the AFC uh, and, and their fortunes? Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, and it seems logical when you look at it. This is the team that in terms of the Kansas City Chiefs that has made the last two Super Bowls from the AFC hosting week one. Fans are back. Um, Cleveland Browns up and coming. Have they proven anything yet? They lost here last year. Um, you got the Andy Reid angle. These this team is ridiculous. League best seven and one in season openers since he took over, uh, which is best in the NFL. Six and two ATS. The other thing here that's interesting is number one. I mean, of course, the, the one of the reasons they're so great is because they score at a ridiculous rate. Um, they've scored at over fifty percent of their possessions three straight seasons. The first team ever to do that in NFL history for three straight years score on over 50% of your possessions. That's courtesy of Rich Reber from sharpfootballanalysis.com. When you've got Baker Mayfield and when he's playing a difficult pass defense, things haven't been as rosy as that record would indicate last year. And part of the reason is he did not play very many average to above average pass defenses last season. And keep in mind, first year was Kevin Stefanski. They had their weapons. I know Odell Beckham was out of the lineup for much of the season last year, but everybody else was there. They had their O-line. They had their running backs. They had their tight end. They had their other wide receivers. But Baker was fortunate to play the third easiest schedule of pass defenses last year. When he played any pass defense ranked better than 20th, he averaged only six and a half yards per attempt, only 59% completions, only 208 yards per game, nine touchdowns, six interceptions, and 13 sacks. Not very good marks. This doesn't include any of those three games that were in these monsoon-like conditions because all of those games were played against bad pass defenses, terrible pass defenses. So those don't included part of this sample size. We don't have to remove anything, to be honest here. Um, those are things that are negative about Baker Mayfield. The interesting thing about their game last year 
is obviously they fell behind early in that game when they played in the postseason. But they passed the ball on 18 of their first 24 plays, House. 18 of their first 24. That is a 75% pass rate with Baker Mayfield on the road, in Arrowhead, in the playoffs. That was even more pass heavy than the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm not even talking about the second half when they're trying to catch up. This is the first half. I did not like their game plan entering that game. And Baker Mayfield is not the type of quarterback that you want to be throwing the football at a 75% clip. I think that they're going to have a better strategy on offense. They've got to. It can't be any worse than what they entered the game with last year. Against the bad Browns defense on the other side of the football, the Kansas City Chiefs, their first three drives, sorry, first four drives of the game, 75, 75, 70, and 53 yards. They scored on all four and scored 19 points. Right out the gate, the the, uh, Cleveland Browns were in a hole. The Cleveland Browns made some massive upgrades and adjustments on the defensive side of the football. The Cleveland Browns, I think, will approach this game with a better strategy on offense. What will be interesting on the defensive side of the ball house is Jadavian Clowney. This, yeah. this is where you guys have got to pay attention to the injury reports with COVID going around. There's a lot that can change even from Friday when we record this show. Okay. Jadavian Clowney was absent for practice from the seconds for the second straight day on Thursday with an illness, but he's testing negative for COVID. But you never know what's, and John Johnson has been out with a sickness as well. Like we have to pay close attention to this. So opinions will change when players leave the game. But at this very moment, assuming Jadavian plays, I actually think this game may be pretty close. The books are going to need the Cleveland Browns. But even more than that, House, the books are going to need the under in this game because no game has been bet towards the over on the entire week one slate like this game here. Like 95% of the money is coming in on the over. The books are absolutely going to need the under. Now, I want to just go on record house as telling you before I toss you back the mic to get your feedback on this. Just because the books need something doesn't mean it always comes through. The books lose too. And this is one total out of 16 for week one. It's not like they're going to start begging on the corner for money if they don't win this particular total. I hate it when sportsbooks even say, oh, we got crushed this week. We lost the majority of our bets and the public was right. I don't give a care about that. They, they're they going to clean up the very next weekend. It's all a marketing tactic. But I'm just saying that to identify the fact that nobody thinks this game is going to go under. No money is coming in on the under right now. And it's a very typically a scary place to be if you're going to side with the public and that much money and just bet the over blindly here. So I'm kind of um, surprised to hear that um, it's so lopsided and and the over is so heavily uh, bet in, in this game. I would have thought last night's game, that Dallas-Tampa uh, uh, game, which it went, you know, f- flew over, that that was going to be the one, you know, the the whole gambling public, all of, we've been waiting and dying to gamble on an NFL football game. I gambled on that NFL football game last night in a couple of different ways. Lost one, one, one. It's okay. But, uh, you know, I thought everybody would be on that, that over. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on this as uh, an early referendum 
an early indication on uh, just what you talked about, the the, the Cleveland defense. The, the, that is the unit that let them down throughout the season last year. That is the unit that um, kept them from, you know, not, now they only lost 22-17 to the Chiefs. Um, so that the defense was, was in the game, but all of the meaningful acquisitions this offseason, John Johnson, you mentioned, Troy Hill, Tack McKinley, Jadavion, like they're all very deliberate in building depth and adding potential um, upside talent, especially in the secondary for for Cleveland. And it looks like a, a deliberate, um, you know, Andrew Barry's been getting all this love, the GM of, of Cleveland, and I think he deserves it. Um, a, a deliberate attempt to address particularly what Kansas City poses as a threat in the AFC and what what Buffalo poses um, in terms of the strengths of those two teams and how Cleveland has to meet those two teams to contend at the level that the people are hoping could, Cleveland can contend at. Do you agree with that? Yeah, look, the, la- the last point on this game that I'll make, and it is in agreement with you, but um, I think it may take different teams and different units on, on the defensive side of the football more time to come around. And so I don't know that this singular game against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs that did overhaul their offensive line is going to be the key indicator to say, oh yeah, the Cleveland Browns defense has arrived if they end up allowing some points to Andy Reid with extra time to prepare week one. I think the Cleveland Browns defense is going to be substantially better than it was last year, but it may not show itself in its full capacity this particular week one game. And I'm not going to write them off if they don't. That said, they absolutely went out and made targeted acquisitions with the primary intention of figuring out how to handle Patrick Mahomes in this offense. The Patrick Mahomes-led Kansas City Chiefs really want to do one thing. They want to pass the football, and they're going to pass it to two players, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. If you can figure out with your safety strategy, they obviously went out and went you know, what after JOK, a guy that they think might be able to help cover some uh, tight ends. If you're going out there and you're going to help minimize the impact, and it's very difficult, trust me, teams generally don't figure out how to limit the impact of Travis Kelsey. If you can limit his impact and then you can just stay over the top of Tyreek Hill, you're going to slow down this Kansas City Chiefs offense. Um, Obviously, any strategy when you go up against the Chiefs is you want to sit back so that they try to run the football. The more the Kansas City Chiefs are running the football, the better you are going to be on defense because you're not getting burned by big plays from Patrick Mahomes. So very interesting matchup. I love the fact that the Cleveland Browns have improved in a variety of areas. There are still some concerns, but I think it's going to be a great game. Clearly, clearly the marquee game of week one. Yeah, and it's a stay away for me um, because I kind of just would prefer to enjoy the game rather than getting nervous and feeling like I have to go to the backyard shed um, to to wait out my bet. So uh, I'm just going to watch that one and, and enjoy it. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Now, I do have some games where I have a particular conviction, and we're going to go through them now. 
We're going to start with what uh, I believe is, you know, the yeah, I, nothing is ever a layup. We we know we're humble in front of the ga- gambling gods. Like I come in and I offer respect to the gambling gods, but this is my Nick Foles gigantic unit play of the week. And it's <laughs> de- deliberate that we're talking about Nick Foles here because it is the Los Angeles Rams against the Chicago Bears. And the last time these two teams played, Nick Foles was prominently involved. I love the Rams. I have been in a couple of different um, spaces uh, with the podfather himself, Bill Simmons, um, talking about the upcoming NFL season and have expressed my enthusiasm for the Rams this year. I just love the situation. They're they're uh, hosting Chicago. There, it'll be the opening of the SoFi Stadium. It's supposed to, you know, that place has a reputation of being a fast track. There's going to be all kinds of like celebration and stuff of the new stadium. The fans are going to be hyped. And on the other side, Chicago looks like a team that needs to define itself. Who are we going to be? And we're starting with Andy Dalton. And if that's the definition, you want to take your dictionary and throw it out the window because that is not any way to start off an NFL season in which you have serious aspirations for winning your division, for making the playoffs, for any of the above. Another thing that I like here is uh, Sean McVay. So this is a Sean McVay, Matt Nagy, referendum. We have talked uh, extensively on this show. We talked about it all last year, looking for different, you know, coaching mismatches. To me, this is a coaching mismatch. I can't wait to see what Sean McVay is capable of with Matt Stafford uh, tossing the rock. Um, The Bears offensive line has been identified as one of the weakest units uh, in the entire NFL. And so I like the Rams laying the seven points. I also like the Bears Rams under at 46 and a half. Those games, uh, the, they, this is the fourth time these teams will have played in, the, in, in four years. The three previous years, the totals have been 34, 24, and 21. Andy Dalton involved on the Chicago side gives me great enthusiasm for the under. Even if uh, the Rams get to 30 points, I don't see... The, the the Bears getting to 17 with, with Dalton uh, in control of the Rock. Um, please, please help me uh, uh, enjoy my enthusiasm for Nick Yoles, Nick Foles' gigantic unit this week. Yeah, um, well, even hearing the name Nick Foles makes me a little nauseous just because <laughs> he, 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 you know, he thinks he needs to be a starter in the NFL, but obviously that's not the case. And, um, and I'm, I love the fact that he won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. But aside from that, you know, um, I, I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, same could be said, though, for Andy Dalton, <laughs> um, who is starting this game because they just don't think Justin Fields is ready. Potentially, it's because their offensive line isn't good enough to protect him. The problem is that offensive line isn't going to be good enough to protect him all year. It's not as if this offensive line is going to get better all of a sudden, or they're going to start adding new free agents all of a sudden to this offensive line. And boom, now it's safe enough for Justin Fields to get back there. Like you need to teach Justin Fields how to get through his keys before the snap so that he can protect himself better. Maybe that's what they're holding him out for. This is the fourth straight season that these teams have played in prime time 
those games have been gross. Those games have been disgusting. 34 points, 24 points, and 21 points. Now, Jared Goff, Jared Goff, Jared Goff, okay? So keep that in mind as well. The interesting element here, House, that I think is going to be fascinating because you want to lay the points on the Rams, but you haven't seen Matthew Stafford yet in this offense at all, right? He they hit him in preseason. It's now, this a is, blind McVay bet. That's it. This is what this is what McVay does, though. He hides his quarterbacks, but it's different when your quarterback knows the system. Here, this is the first time that Matthew Stafford is playing. Is there going to be any rust or difficulties as he gets out there on the field uh, because he wasn't playing any live snaps? I actually think no. I actually think he's going to come out and play well. An instance of another LA team hiding their quarterback that leads me to some questions would be different game. Justin Herbert with regard to the LA Chargers. They didn't play Justin Herbert at all in the preseason. I love Justin Herbert, but he's only in his second season as a pro. And he's in the first season of this Joe Lombardi offense, who's his new offensive coordinator. I thought Keeping him on the bench the entire preseason was probably the wrong move from the Chargers, but I don't really care about this move for Matthew Stafford and for Sean McVay. They get off well in the pre in, in the regular season. Once that season starts, you look at their record week one, you look at their point production week one, their offense doesn't really skip a beat. Here is one question that I have for you with regard to Andy Dalton. Just hit me rapid fire answers. You ready? Yes. You saw how incredible Dak Prescott looked last night, right? Awesome. You saw how incredible Dak Prescott looked early in the 2020 season before he got injured, right? Awesome. You know that Dallas had the same offensive coordinator last night as they did in 2020, right? Yes. And you know that Dallas had the same weaponry at the skill position players last night as they did in 2020, right? This is true. And think back to how terrible this offense ended up looking once Andy Dalton got inserted. If all of those other things are true and accurate, how bad does that speak to Andy Dalton? Now, I know the offensive line got a little bit injured over the course of the season, so that's going to hurt any quarterback. But he looked atrocious like he couldn't even command this offense last year with all these weapons, with the same coordinator calling plays that Dak Prescott thrived with then and in week one yesterday. Andy Dalton, we don't have to even think back to last year. Look at what they did with Andy Dalton in the preseason. He commanded nine drives. Now, the preseason, take it with a grain of salt. Some quarterbacks don't play. Some quarterbacks play. Different set of talent. But in almost all cases, you're going up against a relatively vanilla defense. Defenses are not going to be scheming up big shit to stop you in the preseason. Andy Dalton's nine drives. Three and out punt. Three and out punt. Three and out punt. Three and out punt. That's the first four of the season. Okay, let's keep going. A fumble. A three and out punt. A touchdown. Turnover on downs. And an interception. Okay, they forget the fact that they scored on just one of those nine drives. Only one of those nine drives gained more than 15 yards without a turnover. Okay, we are talking about complete lack of Ability to move this offense, even in the preseason, and they gave him nine drives. Now, the one drive he scored a touchdown, I was surprised they kept him in the game this long. I thought they were going to pull him out a lot quicker as week two of the preseason. They kept him in the game. I think it was his fifth drive because the first four drives were punt, punt, fumble, punt, and all the punts were three and outs. 
that so they kept him in so that he could face a backup defensive back out of Jacksonville State that was put into man coverage and he completed a big pass down the right side of the field. Nice pass, scored a touchdown. They kept him in long enough so that that could happen. Then for some reason, they kept him in for two more drives, turnover on downs after 15 yards and an interception. Andy Dalton is not the guy that's going to lead this team. My advice on a game like this, I don't necessarily dislike the Rams, but you're going to see a shitload of money come in over the course of the day as the public loses on these early games. They're going to be chasing with the Rams Sunday night. I am not backing the Chicago Bears here, but when you have a line with a favorite like this, that there's plenty of angles and reasons to support them, teasing them from seven and a half or eight, there are seven and a half basically everywhere right now, through the seven and through the three is absolutely a plus EV move. We're going to talk about that over the course of the season. That's a good strategy. This is a great teaser leg, in my opinion, to tie up on Sunday night. That's great because I have other teaser legs um, to explore with you and I have no compunction whatsoever playing uh, the Rams in that way. I um, know what plus EV means, but uh, it's the beginning of the NFL season. Some people might have had their head in 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 uh, still in the sand from from all of the beach in, in August or whatever. Plus EV, what is it? It's expected value. It's 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 a move that adds expected value to your betting card. It's going to give you upside. Minus EV is a bad decision. Just look at it as uh, positive expectations, negative expectations. Are you making an intelligent decision that's going to help you win a bet and make you money? Or is it a negative decision that's going to end up losing you money or giving you less of a chance of winning money, right? It's it's not nothing set in stone, but it's a it's a move that would be negative and hurt your ability if it was negative EV. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I have a couple more plays for us to pound through, um, picking up on a couple themes that we've already hit on this show and themes that we love on this show. Uh, I'm looking at the Baltimore Ravens laying four and a half on the road. It's a Monday night football game. It's the opening for the Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders, the Vegas Raiders home in Allegiant Stadium. The first time they're going to fill it up with, with fans. They're going to be hyped. Raider Nation will be out. I don't know if there's Raider Nation in Vegas yet, but uh, people will dress up either way. Um, this is another instance where, uh, speaking of, of uh, giant units, you know who gets up for season openers? John Harbaugh. That's who. John Harbaugh, great record in season openers. The, the Ravens are 10-3 and three against the spread with him at the helm. Five in a row uh, uh, is their current winning streak with a combined score of 177 to 26. They're outscoring their week one opponents uh, lately by 41 and a half points. These are all good things. Uh, on the other side, I have no idea what's going on um, with the Las Vegas Raiders. They traded away the entire right side of their uh, offensive line. Um, their uh, offseason moves were puzzling to say the least, the offense was good last season, um, and it might be good again this year. I mean, Waller had a breakthrough year, uh, but it just feels like a little light. Looks like an opportunity with the Ravens. There might be a tiny little bit of of undercurrent of disrespect for the Ravens um, that is emanating from all the injuries with the uh, uh, at running back because we've seen them, um, you know, have terrible injury luck 
in the last 10 days. Every It feels like every two days we're seeing uh, on the ticker something having to do with the Ravens running back being injured. Um, and so it feels like to me there's a tiny bit of opportunity maybe with the, the Ravens here. What, what's, your, what's your sense? Well, look, yeah, they've been struck with the major injury bug, um, almost like what the Eagles were struck with before the season last year, except this is not ravaging their offensive line. What this is ravaging is the key core of what they want to do. No team ran the ball more than the Baltimore Ravens the last two years. And in the past 12 days, they lost their top three running backs. J.K. Dobbins tore his ACL in the preseason finale. Then you had... Gus Edwards just tear his ACL in a non-padded practice yesterday. Prior to that, you had Justice Hill injuring his Achilles tendon. That was September 9th. Um, that all these things are all these things are just disasters. Actually, it was more it was earlier than September 9th. But regardless, they lost their top three running backs, and this team wants to run the football. They made moves, though, not to get running backs last offseason because they or this past offseason because they liked their depth at running back entering the season. What they did is they made moves to bolster the receiving element of this team because they were lacking the ability for Lamar Jackson to be able to throw the football down the field. He was setting records. He was doing great for quarterback his age and and uh, the production that he was getting offensively. I think people forget that. Look at the receivers that he was working with. It was it was it was terrible. But the fact of the matter is, they needed more receiving weapons. So they go out and they get Sammy Watkins in free agency. They go out and they spend their number one overall pick, pick thirty uh, twenty seven overall on Rashad Bateman. But guess what? Rashad Bateman is on IR. Miles Boykin, another wide receiver that was a contributor last year, is on IR. Marquise Brown missed the entire preseason with a hamstring injury. So not only are you dealing with these cluster injuries to your running back position, but what they tried to do in the offseason to help this passing game also is not hitting the ground running to start week one and starting the preseason. So this team, you know. I will tell you how maybe we I did the pod with Bill, I don't know, or, and or you well earlier this summer. I was waiting to potentially take the Ravens at a certain buy point. You know, I wanted them 15 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh it was 14 to 1 at the time. I no longer have interest in in doing that. And at, at this point, like the, I was seeing nothing that was coming out in the offseason that was good enough news to make me want to make that move. And then I've seen nothing since to make me want to make that move. The guys that they've added, Latavius Murray, maybe he could be good. All these guys are going to see better upside or potential because of this system that they run. And because of the looks with a running quarterback that they're going to get generally are better for a running back's production than if he's just sitting in a different style of offense. Um, but all these guys have struggled in their prior stops. So I don't have a lot of confidence with the exception of who knows what Latavius Murray ends up being that they've got running backs on here that are going to be able to carry the load and produce with a high level of upside. That said, I'm 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 not like fading this team because they don't have running backs. It's just that they run the ball a ton and their top three guys are gone. Cluster injuries do matter. It's enough not to fade them, but not to want to pull the trigger. But the one thing that I did, House, that is still available right now, and I actually did this last night. Browns are now plus one fifty five to win the AFC North. Ooh, that is something that has become extremely interesting to me because. It's not necessarily that I dislike the Ravens 
that much more, but I was never able to get on their bandwagon to start. And now just the situation they're in, I think the rate the, the Cleveland Browns do have some edges at the plus 155 buy point to get a little bit there on the AFC North before this season kicks off. Um, in terms of this game, look, it's inevitable that we're going to see a ton of money come in on the Baltimore Ravens closer to the game. I think we're going to see some people at sports books that are going to be pulling heavily for the Raiders here. I think this game has a potential to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. So I haven't done anything. The total sitting at like 50 and a half. I haven't pulled the trigger any which way there. Um, I love every, like I wanted to get on Baltimore. I wanted to take them week one. I didn't like what the Raiders were doing this offseason. I don't disagree with anything that you said there, but I just haven't seen enough in the past couple of weeks to make me want to pull this trigger on them week one here, nor um, do I think that we're going to see a massively overproductive output from these offenses in this game. Okay. And I think you've talked me into stay away on the spread. I might do something small on the under um, because part of the thing I'm intrigued by with this game is I I knew when I put this on the card and I knew we were going to talk about it, that, um, you know, Baltimore had all the injuries on the offensive side, mainly at running back. But um, it's a real interesting test of the Baltimore system, the Baltimore approach, the Harbaugh, um, you know, preparedness. And I, I believe in Harbaugh. So that that's part of why yep. I included it here. And uh, maybe we'll just I'll just do a tiny bit on the under um, and and just, you know, let that be. The, the taste for, for Monday night. It feels like a good taste. I could live with that. Speaking of taste, on the dance card, the next two things I have feature three of the four worst teams in the NFL or three of the five worst teams in the NFL, depending on, on your measurement. I have two overs that I want to bounce off of you. One is the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, at the Houston Texans. That game, uh, the number I have is 45 and a half. I've played the over it feels like the, you know, what the Houston Texans have done has been inexplicable and indefensible. But does that create an opportunity? Rookie, we, we, we have on the other side, rookie quarterback, uh, rookie head coach for the Jags. Neither one of these teams are good defensively. And that's the reason why this over is interesting to me. Of Houston's 16 games last season, 13 of those exceeded 45 points. Houston was giving up uh, an average of 29 points. And Jacksonville was worse, allowing almost 31 points a game. And they gave up 27 or more in all but two games. So my focus really is on the the, the defenses as opposed to w- whatever uh, inexplicable stuff is going on on the offensive side of the bar. Uh, the ball, uh, 45 and a half is my number for that game. Do you, do you, uh, like what I'm doing here or or are you going to talk me out of it? I don't really have a strong opinion on this one. The only thing I can say is it absolutely would be a bet against the defenses, not on the offenses. I mean, Tyrod Taylor isn't necessarily scaring anybody. The way that the Texans are going to be calling their game plan probably isn't scaring anybody. They've got a boatload of running backs. They're probably going to be running the football at a fairly high rate. Alternatively, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are actually going to pass the football at a higher rate than a lot of people expect. 
go back and look at what they were doing in that game against the Saints when Trevor Lawrence was named starter and they traded Gardner Minshew. I mean, they were just dropping back and Trevor Lawrence was passing, 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 passing. Uh, Daryl Bevel loves to pass. He's their OC. Brian Schottenheimer loves to pass. He's their quarterback's coach. Um, I think they've got confidence where they're at here. Um, and I think that they are going to be comfortable letting Trevor Lawrence pass the ball at a pretty high rate, but that's to be determined. We don't know yet. Um, so this would be a bet against the defenses. Uh, I'm, I don't really have a strong stance on this one. Okay. Well, I'm betting against the defenses and I'm sticking with it. I also uh, jumped on one that I think you, you have an angle on the New York jets, the Carolina Panthers, that number is 43. I caught the over 43 on this jets, uh, Carolina Panthers game. The part of this thing that that's so uh, intriguing. The pa- the Panthers have their skill players finally. Obviously, the Sam Darnold revenge game. He's be, he's going to be coming in hot. But we have McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall. They're all lined up against the Jets secondary that I don't think anybody outside the Jets team and their parents could name. Uh, and I think, you know, Darnold, we're going to see, we're going to see, uh, if he can throw the rock around a little bit with, with those weapons they are the best weapons he'll ever have in his entire professional career. Um, and another element of why the over is attractive to me, it's not like the Panthers defense is all that special. And I think, um, Zach Wilson, beautiful Zach Wilson, what a handsome young man, uh, pretty good, uh, group of, how old of is he? Receivers. How old is he? He's isn't he like twenty two? I thought he, me. I, th- I think he's seventeen. Man, he looks super <laughs> young. Baby face. But he is a baby face. Uh, but I just, I just it feels like forty three is a is a terrific number early in the season to play an over on. That's just like a, one of the the governing principles. Talk to me. Yeah. So, I mean, let's pull back the curtain here, House. Um, You know, we got to be honest with the listeners out there. This was something that I gave out over at my website. And by the way, I'm not just going to like keep talking about the website and not give you guys any assistance here. Uh, You use Sharp 30 and you get 30% off anything over at Sharp Football Analysis. But you're on board with what my stuff is. And this was something we gave out a little while ago at 43. 43 is a somewhat valuable number on NFL totals. And one of the logic factors here is Carolina played the number six most difficult schedule of defenses last year. They played 11 of their 16 games against top 15 defenses, like the opposite of what Baker Mayfield was dealing with last year that we discussed. And when they played defenses that weren't top 15, they put up seven more points per game and their over under flipped completely. Three of their four games went over the total. Um, They played the number one most difficult schedule of pass defenses last year. Now you get Sam Darnold. What's Sam Darnold going to be? I don't know. I I really don't. Nobody knows. It's to be determined here, okay? But when you're betting, sometimes, especially early in the season, remember my conversation we had before, we were just betting overs because we loved a number of different things that weren't being discussed enough. We had angles that we were going to pursue and trust our beliefs in. I think Sam Darnold, Maybe okay in this offense, maybe, but I'm betting that he'll be good enough to at least get us over 43 points. And I could be wrong. And it's one bet that we lose out of many that we're going to lose this season, right? Over the course of the season, you're going to lose a lot of bets. We're also going to win a lot more than we lose, but that's just the nature of betting. 
in this particular game, we're betting that Sam Darnold can command the offense to at least put up some points against this Jets defense, which by the way, is struggling. And why is it struggling? Because of the way that it's built. And I love their general manager, Joe Douglas. I think he's doing a fantastic job of turning this franchise around. And he knows football. And I've been fortunate enough to talk to Joe Douglas in the past. And Joe Douglas knows you win on the offensive side of the football and you win up front. And so he's invested his top picks in the first round every single season as a GM on the offensive line. Then he's come back and brought in wide receivers. Where they looked to invest this offseason outside of the draft was trying to help their new head coach, who is a defensive guy. And they wanted Robert Sala to get some players that would fit in that defense because the defense was bad. They sucked at rushing the quarterback and their secondary was bad. So what they tried to do is they tried to go out and get a defensive lineman like Carl Lawson, very expensive acquisition. They went out and got a defensive lineman, Vinnie Curry. They went out and gotten linebacker, Gerard Davis. All these guys still got injured. Yeah. And they can't play. And so their secondary still stinks and their defensive line isn't going to get enough pressure on the quarterback. Potentially, we'll see how how uh, the transition is for Sam Darnold here. But that is a major concern for them. And the Carolina Panthers, as long as they improve their red zone offense from last year, and I think they might now that Christian McCaffrey is there, but their red zone offense was terrible last year. And what I saw in the preseason did nothing to make me think, oh yeah, they solved this right away, but Christian McCaffrey wasn't playing. So I'm hoping they get smarter inside the red zone and can score some touchdowns. I think they're going to be better there. But on the other side of the football, I disagree that the Carolina Panthers are a bad defense. I think they're actually trending pretty well. Brian Burns is a freak. I like some of his sack uh, futures this season. I think Brian Burns is going to be a great player this year. And I think their defense overall is going to be vastly improved. But I do think that Zach Wilson is going to be put in great positions. I love the Mike LaFleur system that they're installing there. So much different than what Adam Gase was doing. And he's got some weapons. Jameson Crowder is going to be out this game. Okay, They've already announced that he's not going to play with COVID. But they're still pretty deep at the wide receiver position. And, you know, the Jets, they've taken some money here over the last couple of days. So the, the Jets were taking some five and some five and a halfs when those were out there and even some four and a half. So uh, the Jets have turned into a little bit of a sharper side at this point in time. Um, so whether or not that ends up being the right side, we'll see. But if the Jets are taking some money, I can tell you it's probably not because their defense is just dominating here. Um, I think it's because their offense is having some success too. Yeah, and and I'm not playing the spread. I only am interested in this game for uh, the total. And, you know, I, I have a little bit of a, a money line kind of thing there perhaps with, with, with the Panthers. We've got about six games we've gone through here. And... You know, it wouldn't. We wouldn't uh, be getting off on the right foot if we don't jump into something a little bit exotic. I know that um, you regularly discourage me from engaging in this kind of behavior. <laughs> but remember, Bill it's Simmons week one, said and it. you want to have fun. You want to yeah, have fun, I and get I it. am the worst gambler on the planet. So look, I have. There's a famous movie who had uh, uh, Heath Ledger and and Jake. Gyllenhaal and I just you know the lo- I, I wish I knew how to quit you my five leg <laughs> money line parlay and, and you know I really wish I I could help myself but let me bounce this off of you here's here are the elements of my five leg 
money line parlay. And I think this pays out a little under six to one, maybe. I, I have to I have to do the math. I'm not really worried about the math. I I'm really worried about getting the right teams assembled here for, for week one. So I have the Bills uh who are hosting the Steelers. I have the Bills money line. I have the Panthers money line. You know, I I mean the Jets might might uh Give them a little bit of business, but uh, I like the money line for the Panthers. I have the 49ers money line, and the 49ers, speaking of the teaser that you offered up uh, earlier with the Rams going through the key number um, against the Bears, getting that down, that 49ers line also sets up beautiful to be the other leg, perhaps, of, of a teaser there. But I just like the 49ers money line. Uh, they're they're on the road at Detroit, but Detroit, I said, you know, that's, they're one of the four or five worst teams in the league as well. The other two elements of this uh, uh, money line parlay, the Denver Broncos against the Giants. Tiny, f- I'm, I'm, this is really more my uh, belief in, in the Broncos. Perhaps, um, you know, landing on something with stability at the quarterback position with Bridgewater. And then I included the Rams because I'm bullish on the Rams this week. So those are my five legs in this money line parlay. Which one of these teams is going to Screw me, Warren Sharp. Well, look, I just want to provide a little bit of analysis overall before we get into which one's going to screw you. Um, <laughs> here, here's the thing: when you've got two teams with lines set like the 49ers and the Rams are, just over seven and a half, you mentioned the ability to tease them. Well, you're going to be be in a much more plus EV situation to just tease them rather than throw them into something um, like this necessarily. So I prefer them in a teaser rather than wrapping them into the money line parlay. Uh, but I see where you're coming from and and you like them. And so you might tease them also and you want to throw them in here. Um, the Buffalo Bills, yeah. like so week, the, it's week one. I want to do it all, buddy. You, you want you want everything. You want everything. Uh, there's there's no there's unlimited returns at the buffet. Uh, <laughs> with the Buffalo Bills, I think that this is a very interesting game. I think this is a super interesting game. Um, that pass rush for the Steelers has notoriously given the Buffalo Bills some trouble. I do think, though, if you look back at that week one game, I think the lake effect snow that developed moments before the first half kicked off did factor into why the Buffalo Bills struggled a little bit out the gates with their passing attack. I also think that they made some adjustments at halftime that really helped them excel. And it wouldn't be unsurprising to see them start the first half of this game using some of the things that they were doing in the second half of the last game. I don't expect Keith Butler to really change his stripes that much. I think this Pittsburgh Steelers secondary is their weak point. Um, they went out and acquired a color Witherspoon this past week to help in that secondary. I think they're going to be playing a ton of man coverage. I think the Buffalo Bills know that. And I think the Buffalo Bills should be able to have some success there. But that being said, you know, everybody is high on the Bills this year. Everybody is down on the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, it, it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me that much um, if the Steelers gave this with all their motion that they use and with all the new things Matt Canada might bring to the table, you know, scare them a little bit. But that that's a tough game for me. I think the Denver Broncos look, I want to just mention on that game. It looks like a clear mismatch on paper to me. It, it looks like as long as Teddy Bridgewater doesn't fuck it up, this is a game that the Denver Broncos have everything they need to win. The only two question marks that I have for the Denver Broncos from a matchups and personnel perspective are off the field. It's 
Vic Fangio and how conservative this guy is on fourth downs and plus EV decisions. And he really just doesn't want to pull the trigger at the right time. And that could play a factor here. And the other thing is Pat Shermer, their offense coordinator, who tends to run the ball way too much early, doesn't want to pass the ball enough, doesn't want to use enough play action, does a lot of things incorrectly, in my opinion, that could shoot the Broncos in the foot. And I absolutely at 425 on Sunday afternoon will be tweeting about different decisions that Pat Shermer is making that are minus EV over the course of the game because I just think he's a complete liability for this team. The one thing that was interesting though, because I do try to support the team here, and I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast last night with Peter Schrager. Yeah. And Peter Schrager was discussing the fact that the New York Giants before this game are having an anniversary for 9-11. Obviously, oh it's a gosh. 20th year anniversary. 9-11 is Saturday. Yeah. Uh, 9-12 is Sunday, but they're having a ceremony, doing tons of things pregame. And Schrags feels like that stadium is going to be absolutely emotional, electric. The crowd, first time back in you know almost uh, well over a year. Right. They've seen their team play in person. Uh, Saquon Barkley is back into the lineup. He was just announced that he's going to be good to go. It's just like a lot of emotion there. So that's one thing about that game that you just have to be a little bit wary of. Okay. Well, and I'm, I'm willing to live with it. And I, I am going to... Uh, I expect, admire, and enjoy, and and you know feel the moment with that Giants. I'll make sure that I get an opportunity to watch some of that pregame um, on on this uh, memorial uh, anniversary uh, with with nine eleven. Um, but uh, for the purposes of of this sh- this show, I mean, I'm gonna roll with this parlay. You you didn't say anything to make me not do it. I I. Um, like every every one of the teams and the numbers that I I got there. So can you just wish me the best of luck? Oh, of course. I'll definitely, uh, everything you do, buddy, is with the best of luck. Um, This show is dedicated to you bringing your takes and you are far from the worst gambler in the world. Um, (laughs) it's, 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 It's you bringing your takes, me providing some thoughts on them, and you pulling the trigger when and where you want to. And keep in mind, I mean, I think everybody realizes this already, but just for those tuning in for the first time, you went over like five or six bets plus a money line parlay. That's going to be like one tenth of what you actually are betting by the time Sunday rolls around, if not less. Uh, so you're going to be don't fired let my on live so wife many listen to this podcast. So many different things. I mean, you guys might be out of your house if you have a bad week <laughs> with the way that you are going to be wagering like crazy uh, uh, here. I'll, the only thing I'll say, uh, go, roll with that, and then I do want to throw another. Um, just an interesting element from a game at you in a second here that we haven't discussed yet, just to throw some more games on the table. Great. But with the Denver Broncos, I really do feel like the books are going to need the Giants here. I, I think money and 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 the uh, public opinion is that the Denver Broncos are the better team. And I think the public is on the Denver Broncos too. I like the Denver Broncos to win this game. I bet they're over for their win total. Uh, that said, it is a little scary when I think the books are really going to need um, the the other side here. Yeah. So that's a factor in that game. But the one that we haven't discussed, and we talked about him a lot last year when he was the Titans offensive coordinator, and that's Arthur Smith and what he brings to this Atlanta Falcons team. And the one interesting angle of this game that I'm really interested to see um, is 
what the Falcons red zone offense ends up looking like. And you can't like necessarily, just like I talked about the Cleveland Browns, write them off if it doesn't go well in one game. That's a, I know the NFL is a very small sample size sport. I like to make decisions based upon these small sample size, take a stance, go with what you think. Um, you're going to have to do that. You're not going to have enough data to just, oh, I need to wait for more data. I need to wait for more data. You're never going to end up betting anything. You're never going to end up uh, being on any strong positions if you always are waiting for a sample size to get full enough before you can pull a trigger. Um, but if you're looking at the Tennessee Titans, former head coach, a former OC, Arthur Smith, who's now calling the offense for Atlanta, what might you get? Well, the Atlanta Falcons, the last two years, ranked number 25 and 26 in red zone conversion rate. They could not score touchdowns inside the red zone. Arthur Smith in Tennessee ranked number one and number two the last two years in red zone conversion rate. You're going from one of like the bottom five red zone offenses the last two years to the best red zone offense the last two years. And you don't have Derrick Henry to get the box loaded to help your passing attack. So he's going to have to work around that. He's going to have to figure out how to make things work. But what we do know is he's clearly much better at scheming things up and designing red zone offense than was Dirk Cutter, the former Falcons offensive coordinator. So I'm interested to see what this offense looks like when they do get into the red zone against the Philadelphia Eagles. Can they be productive? Because not only were the Tennessee Titans the number one red zone offense, here's the statistic points per minute. The NFL average is 0.57 points per minute of possession. The Chiefs, the best offense in the NFL, were way up at 0.77 points per minute. The Tennessee Titans, when Ryan Tannehill was playing quarterback, 0.99 points per minute blowing the scale away, like just completely off the scale with how good this offense was. And it was in large part because they were efficient inside the red zone and in large part because of the way that they were designing some of their play action and big strikes and using pre-step motion. A lot of things that smart coaches do. So I'm just fascinated to see week one, how does this Atlanta Falcons offense look? How efficient are they down inside the red zone? The key is going to be protect the quarterback because they may not even get chances to do what they need to do and to display how good they are in the red zone if Matt Ryan is under pressure. And we know the strength of the Philadelphia Eagles is that defensive line. How much pressure is that defensive line going to get on the Atlanta Falcons offensive line that isn't ideal? Let's put it that way. Um, how? But I like Matt Ryan. I like his decision-making. I like his poise. There's a chance that there could be some upside there. And on the other side of the ball, I mean, this is just a game nobody's really talking about. So I want to add some flavor to the other side of the ball, too. I'm excited to see what Jalen Hurts is going to bring to the table. Everybody has been against the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a funny position because if you remember over the last three years, ever since they won the Super Bowl, everybody's been on the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl 2017, 2018. People were betting on the Philadelphia Eagles 2019, 2020. All of a sudden, 2020 goes off the rails and everybody's like, this team is trash. They can't do anything. Even though they had the number one most injured offensive line last year and obviously Carson Wentz was jettisoned, even though they had one of the most receiving injured receiving cores of the NFL They've got all these guys back. That is going to be fascinating. The other thing, um, House, that I want to just mention, you mentioned the San Francisco 49ers. One thing that I want people to realize for the 49ers as well, when we talk about injuries, 
This is the number one most injured team over the last several years, the San Francisco 49ers, particularly on offense. Kyle Shanahan's offense has been ravaged by injuries year in and year out. So much so last season that this team played only two games all year, two, with their number one quarterback, their top two wide receivers, and their tight end. Two games. They not only have their top two wide receivers, their tight end, and their number one quarterback here, they've got their number one running back, they've got their number one fullback, and they've got their offensive line intact. I am really interested to see what this Falcons, oh, sorry, what this 49ers offense looks like week one with Kyle Shanahan having everybody at his disposal. I don't know how much we're going to see Trey Lance, maybe a couple of plays, maybe not much until they feel more confident about his finger. Maybe they were overplaying the finger and they're actually going to use him a little bit more. I don't know what we're going to see. That's a big question mark. But what I do know is Kyle Shanahan knows how to design an offense and he hasn't had the players due to injuries healthy to execute his offense at a top flight most of the last several years, and they finally have everybody up this week. So that's going to be interesting as well. So that's one. That 49ers is going to be all over my dance card. I mean, I put them in the parlay. I'm going to put them in the teaser with the Rams. There's other ways I'm going to play them. You um, identified that Falcons-Eagles game, and I had them on my card uh, for this show this week and then took it off because I just grew a little nervous. I felt pretty strongly about the Falcons. I like the Falcons as a bounce bounce back team. They were on, uh, they had a, a you know, in, incredible uh, one score game, terrible record last year. There, there should be regression in the, in the direction that that's positive for them on that note. And, and I'm a deep Arthur Smith believer. Um, but I just don't know what we're getting with the Eagles team. And it, and it scares me because that offensive line on paper looks vastly improved. And if they're healthy on both sides of the ball, it really comes down to hurts. And I don't know where we're getting with Jalen hurts. So I, it, it turned into a stay away for me. Do you have a feel for a side or a, a, a total in that game? Well, there are a lot of question marks on both sides of the football uh, for the Eagles, but but even so for the Falcons, the Falcons don't have as many new acquisitions or players returning from health. I mean, they were a pretty healthy team last year, but what's changed is the coordinators on both sides of the ball. Dean Pease is now calling their defense. Dean Pease came from Tennessee for a couple of years and Baltimore before that. He blitzes a ton. He runs a very complicated defense. It's the defense has had enough time to figure out what he wants them to do and to be in the right assignments. Uh, they can cause problems for Jalen Hurts, but it is a difficult defense to pick up, especially week one of the season. So I'm really going to be watching this game to see how good this defense is. But rest assured, they're probably going to be blitzing a fair amount, which puts the receivers on islands at times. And the Eagles have a lot of fast, but very unproven receivers. And so you got like Quez Watkins, who's finally healthy. You got Devonta Smith, who's the, you know, top draft pick this season. And of course you have Jalen Rager from last year and you have a couple tight ends that they've used in the past pretty routinely. But there are questions on the Eagle side of the ball too. Obviously new coaching staff entirely, new defense coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, who came from the Indianapolis Colts. And on the offensive side of the ball, we have never seen plays called by their head coach, who's also being their offensive coordinator. So I don't know exactly what that offense is going to look like, uh, what their strategies are going to be. Are they going to use a lot of 12 personnel as they've done in the past? Are they going to go to more 11 uh, pass breakdown? Are they going to try to utilize a lot of run plays? I know the Indianapolis Colts leaned a lot on the run game there and threw the ball off of that. Um, is that what we're going to see here for the Philadelphia Eagles? A lot of question marks there, but one thing's for certain. 
the Atlanta Falcons only saw two games last season with a total set below 49 points. Only mm, two. Mm. This defense hasn't improved that much. They've got different coaching and potentially better coaching. Um, and those games came against the Taysom Hill-led Saints, who have a great defense last year, and Taysom Hill, like a running quarterback, couldn't really do anything. And the other one was against Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, a quarterback who's now backing things up right now. And that game sailed over the total, by the way. Yeah. The, the one against Trubisky did. So I, I, I kind of think we may sneakily see some points Ooh, in this game. I love it. Um, but there's a lot of question marks I to know. be you, answered. Everybody's heard exactly what the, the caveats are. Let's play the over. I love it. Let's play the <laughs> over. There, there we go. That That's it for, for a pretty full slate, don't you think? I, I think, look, the one thing that I could say, my advice at the end of this is we have a long season ahead, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to be bringing you, obviously, with my connections um, and, and who I work for um, in the gambling spaces, uh, and I don't mean the illustrious Bill Simmons, I mean some of the other professional betting groups that I'm advising here, we're going to be delivering lots of information, lots of insight, lots of things that you probably wouldn't know just by even looking at an odd screen um, that that we're going to be able to share with you in terms of where good money is coming in and, and, and money that you should be thinking long and hard about before you place your wagers. It is only week one. These lines have been out for months. There is not going to be any value to be extracted. Say, oh my God, like there's a ton of value in this number right now. Unlike when we get to weeks two and three and four, where we'll find more spots for value. What you're going to be looking for right now is to stake your flag on different positions that you think are wrong. You you think higher of, let's say, you think significantly higher of the New England Patriots offense this year. You think Mac Jones is going to be great. You think the Miami Dolphins defense was overrated last year. So while the number might be right at Patriots minus three, you just are much higher on the Patriots than all the books are and much lower on the Dolphins than the books are. And so you want to take the Patriots minus three. That's your, you're planting your flag on your opinion. You can do that this week, okay? You can stake your opinion this week, but you're not going to find value in the number necessarily, like that this line is just wrong based upon what we, the common consensus is of these different teams. So bottom line, lots of time to continue to place bets. Do not go crazy this week. Make sure that you have plenty of bankroll in case you fuck things up this week to last you through the rest of the season. But I can promise you we're going to be delivering great information all year long that you're really going to enjoy. House, any parting words from you? Sharpie, I'm glad that you gave out that last sharp point. Let's be careful out there. It's only week one. Save save some bankroll. We got 17 weeks to get through an extra week to to uh, expand the bankroll. And, and who knows whether or not we're getting Christmas bonuses this year. So let's all just be careful out there. That's all I'll say. And that will do it. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Joe House. I think this was a lot of fun. I can't wait to keep doing these all season long with you. I'm going to be back on Monday on The Gambling Show with Chris Vernon to break down everything that we saw from week one. Thanks again to Joe House. Thanks to Mike Wargon. Thanks to Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. And we will see you guys back on Monday. <laughs>